Welcome back to the Nose Boxing Podcast. With me, Andy White, and with me, as always, we have the crew. Martin Theobald in full 96,000 frame per second uh, audio. Is that right, Andy? We've <laughs> just been discussing this. I think it was, wasn't it Kilo? <laughs> I got a clue. Yeah, it just says Hertz, project rate, 96,000 Hertz. Yeah, that's an exciting start for you, isn't it? So, yeah, boxing podcast with a bit of audio. Um... We've briefly touched on our weekends. How how are your two weekends going? Children. You know, that's about it. He's not to say I've been doing anything. <laughs> no, we know mine. <laughs> no, my own children. <laughs> Your own children. Wow. You just have no heart, do you? <laughs> 48 hours of entertaining my own children. Ah, oh, okay, right. Wasn't that like, wasn't Trump who was like, yeah, you know. I was attracted to my thirteen-year-old daughter. Yeah, Ivanka. Yeah, yeah. She's said, hot. And he said she. And he said she was hot. If she wasn't, if she wasn't my daughter, she'd probably be my girlfriend. I think he said. But, oh. but she was fucking thirteen. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Lead with a free world. <laughs> um, How's yours, Andy? What you been doing? Tinder. Uh, I'm no, about. No, no. To, I'm going to sack off Tinder. I have, what? <laughs> breaking news. I've, yeah, I've got it. I've got it. It's so demoralising. You got to do, you got to do it. I felt you can't get shocking by when you got a f- Andy White retires from Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Andy White's intense Tim. beef with Twitter. Completed him, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, when you got a face like mine, mate, you, you mean Tinder just are, are you work stopping? Were you just resetting? Is this just a breather? No, it's it's not. Is it's this creating a, a new account so that you go further it's up? It's a the... temporary, permanent deleting. <laughs> we'll see. We'll ask again in two weeks. We'll get an update. Yeah. So breaking news. Um... And the other highlight of my weekend was getting smashed on the sofa on my own like a tragic loser. So. <laughs> that is very Winehouse-esque. <laughs> I didn't smoke any crack, though. That's a shame. Yeah. I, maybe I should have done that. So feel free to look down your nose at me. Um, we as, do. We as, do. As we move forward to Terry, um, how was your weekend? Mate, it's just fucking flat. I think I can describe it. It, was it just... could have been worse. You could have utterly ashamed yourself. Or shamed yourself on the sofa drinking. I rum. take great pride in those moments. <laughs> okay, so we have nothing to review. Uh, therefore, there's only a few things to get through. Yeah, no, not even that MTK show. We're not even going to review that. A squillion questions from our beloved listeners. Um, um, a preview of a couple of fights. And then the obligatory, okay, that's it for this week. Followed by Terry's, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. <laughs> <laughs> so... To kick us off, uh, do you want to do that now, Terry? Listen, oh, shuffle. No, 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 no one, wants, no one listens to that point. <laughs> That's where everyone drops off. Um, Senor Tasty sent us a question. In, what was this Wednesday? I think it was. He's over in Germany for the weekend with the Derby City fans. So oh, Derby really? County, whatever it is. <laughs> I don't know what's Derby. Dar- Derby City is what was Derby it? County, Derry it? City or Derby yeah, County? Sorry, sorry, Senor. Um, a few years what, since what, the, what, the what, golden days of Paolo One Shop and Co. <laughs> yeah. Aliosa Asanovich. Oh, good old one shot. I have a, a deep affiliation. Ego Stimac. I actually considered at one point 
um, for your wedding, trying to get in touch with one shop and see. That would have been amazing. <laughs> get in there. Paolo one shop. He, Video link. He could have dribbled round everyone like he did to the United Defence <laughs> in his debut. Isn't he part of like the Costa Rican FA now or something? He's like, he should be fucking running it. He's up there anyway. He should be running it. Um, or just running the WBA. <laughs> okay, so Mick, senior tasty. Thank you very much for the question. And he kicks us off with. My only question for the pod, as I'm in Germany this weekend, is has the Fury's loyalty to Hennessy harmed their career? Terry, you look, uh, you look eager. Poised. The Fury's harmed their own career. Like uh, Hennessy's just been a spectator, just observing these guys basically just fucking decimate on their own careers. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, Mick Hennessy did not tell Tyson Fury to just speak off the cuff like that when he was world champion. What he is culpable for, clearly, is not understanding the IBF rules like Eddie Hearn did. So maybe he is to blame. But the Furies suffer from only trusting the Fury. So they don't get outside advice which says, look, some of the stuff you guys do is stupid. It's an echo chamber. Yeah, it, it's self-referencing. And, you know, because they don't have that infrastructure around them, you know, they've, they've been, it's been shafted. And it's sad to see because... They're super talented. I think Tyson more so than Huey. I think Huey's almost been the the innocent casualty in all of this because he seems to do all the right things. You know, he's what, 22, 23? And he's a very quiet lad when you meet Huey. He's yeah. very, he's like almost the polar opposite to what Tyson is. Huey is quiet, um, well-spoken, well-mannered. Not to say Tyson's a gobshite or whatever, but, you know, that's kind of the impression that some people may have of him. But I say Huey is just a very quiet and uh, almost vanilla kind of character. Yeah, that's just talking in the ring. Yeah. Um, no, I think with it... Look at Hara Davis this week. He's got into a bit of a row with um, Paddy Gallagher, the, the flyweight, um, where he's insulted Paddy Gallagher's wife. Um, and I think you look at it in terms of, you know, Hara Davis seems to have some of those Tyson Fury traits of not necessarily thinking before he tweets. But what Hara Davis did is that within a, a day or whatever, within 12 hours puts out an apology tweet, um, a big long message saying, you know, it's wrong to bring his wife into it, etc. It's probably not written by Hara Davis. It's probably written by one of the Sims already Hearn himself and then throw in a few spelling mistakes to, you know, make it seem a little bit more authentic. But, you know, he's getting that guidance at least that someone says that was a really stupid move, like insult Paddy Gallagher all you want, but don't insult his wife. And so they go ahead and they retract what he's said. As I said, I'd suspect it's probably very little to do with Ahara himself, but that's the kind of guidance that Tyson should have been having from day one. Whether it's Hennessy's fault, yeah, he probably should have guided him a little bit. Um, you know, tell Tyson to get those tweets off. Don't let him do unsupervised media interviews. Those kind of things. But I, I don't know who manages Tyson, uh, but they've got to take some blame for it as well. Okie dokie. Uh, Riku Heikler. Um he conveniently talks about O'Hara Davis, as you mentioned then. Um, O'Hara is clearly being misguided as he's been tweeting so much nonsense since the defeat um, to Josh Taylor. Uh, is this a sign of Matron basically throwing him overboard? Which one of you wants to dive in here? It's the Broner syndrome again, isn't it? It's what value is O'Hara Davis if he doesn't talk? So, so you're on the horns, you're caught on the horns of a dilemma as a matchroom. Um, manager, chairman, whatever. Because if Ahara Davis doesn't talk, he's just another lad that boxes, right? Because Ahara, as a person, is quite considered. He's 
he's quite low profile. And if you've ever met O'Hara Davis, he's the sort of guy you wouldn't notice in a crowd of 50 people because he's very low key. He'll sit at a boxing show and he'll watch the boxing. He'll enjoy it. He'll do a few photos with fans. He'll smile. But he'll normally just talk to the people he's known since he was 17, 18. He's very, very insular like that. He's a, he's a quiet guy in general. That doesn't sell as we found out. So Matchroom say, well, we need, we kind of need it. It's like Broner, you need that kind of edge. And it's almost better to clean up the mess than there'd be no mess at all. Okay. Here's another question. Uh, in case it doesn't come up organically, he asks, and he specifically asks you, Terry, how good of a trainer is Shane McGuigan? Personally, I think he's good at fitness and nutrition, but when it comes to teaching tactics and skills, I'm not convinced. Well, how would you know? Like, <laughs> that's my that's my immediate question. Um, how how would you know? And that's not saying it disrespectfully. Remember, boxing success is pretty much down to the man in the ring. Um, as a trainer myself. I realize this. You can have one year where you get five kids. All know each other. They're in the gym. They compete with each other. Absolutely amazing. The All, Joe Gallagher syndrome. It, probably a bit less than that because it, it's it's kids who, if someone does five pull-ups, the other kid has to do six and so forth. And when they spar, it's about who gets the edge. And you have this, you have this competition. And all you do as a trainer is you kind of steer and you guide it. You don't define it because they almost define themselves. And you had that with Tunde Jai when he had O'Hara, Anthony Yard, uh, Junior Benjamin, and the guy that everyone's talking up now, Nessu Twala. When he had that group, you didn't have to motivate them. Like It was just a self-defining group. So Tunde could kind of just tinker at the edges and, you know, as long as he set the emotional and moral tone of things, it was fine. So the trainer has a, an important, but it's a marginal role. So what Shane is there to do, and bear in mind, Shane is 28 years old, right? So that, that seasoning that life gives you isn't there yet. So Shane is, he's teaching what he knows and he understands. And he's building up that experience that he can draw upon over time. So a lot of what he does is trial and error because it's not he's not like a, like a Jimmy Tibbs who just dips back into the tricks from like 1971 like jimmy tibbs has a you know i've got andy andy understands this shane mcguigan's a guy who's got seven golf clubs right now and in about 10 years time he'll have 16 jimmy tibbs has a thousand golf clubs of varying <laughs> degrees of accuracy that he can dip into at any time and he has like seven caddies around him so shane's building that he's a good trainer in that he doesn't steer far from what works in boxing in general so be fundamentally sound have a good amateur background, and then all we do is we observe our opponents and we set up our tactics to cope. And I know people will question it because of the Leo Santa Cruz fight. But let's not forget Leo Santa Cruz is a damn good boxer and he was a lot bigger than Frampton. So boxing logic would tell you Santa Cruz should win seven or eight times out of ten. The fact that Shane even got one win, we should be applauding. I think Shane McGuigan is a good trainer. I don't think we've seen the best of him. I think in about seven or eight years, we'll be talking about him the way we talk about Adam Booth. He goes on to say, Riku Heikler, this is his third question. My actual question is, <laughs> <laughs> what are the long-term ambitions of Cyclone Promotions? Can they feasibly compete for top talent against Matt Room, Frank Warren? Um, or are they riding a wave of Frampton and Josh Taylor? Well, Frampton's not really theirs anyway. He's um, an Al Heyman fighter, but 
he has the links obviously back to Shane and therefore back to Barry. Um, but yeah, he's on Channel 5 this weekend. So that'd be good. We get to see Carl Frampton on um, standard terrestrial TV. What are their ambitions? I mean, they haven't really got a deep enough stable by any means. They've got Comrade Cummins. They've got Josh Taylor. Uh, they've got Chantel Cameron. Aside from that, what have they really got is next to nothing. So it depends on what they're... If Channel 5 start to give them a budget and start to give them more TV dates, then they can start to build you know, a stable that's worthwhile. But at the moment... What have we really got that we can talk about out of them? I think Andrew Selby might well be a a cyclone fight. I'm not sure. Um, But realistically, at the moment, and you can't talk any more than, say, six months a year in advance because stuff changes so often, but they they just haven't got that same grounding and that same foundation to be able to challenge the likes of Hearn and Warren. They might be able to on a smaller um, scale. So in terms of winning the Josh Taylor, Hara Davis kind of purse bids as such as it was they might be able to get hold of that but in reality is that going to build uh, I don't know what the viewing figures were but is that going to build them enough to take them onto a next level they'd have to put together a fair few of those kind of uh, events the obvious one being Josh Taylor Ricky Burns but I don't know if they're going to be able to afford to do that um, Ricky Burns wouldn't come cheap I just I think, you know, you'd love to see them reach that level where they can start to compete. But realistically, it's not going to happen in the next six to, uh, kind of six to 12 months. Uh, British Boxing Blog asks, Why don't more promoters stream shows live online for free? And then... A s- <laughs> Throw me the ball! A subsequent question that then asks purely cost reasons... But I think you might want to answer the first one. I, it assumes an answer to the first question. I, I'm just going to lean back for a second and, <laughs> and just listen. <laughs> right, so Martin, why don't more promoters stream shows live online for free? Right, I'm sat tweeting uh, Craig at Fight Talk, who's down at a Dovebox show right now. It's got 9,000 people that apparently were watching it earlier on Facebook or have watched it through the afternoon. This is Sunday. He's counted there are 63 people in York Hall right now. (laughs) So you've got 9,000 people watching it at home. 9,300 that have watched part of it. They haven't watched all of it by any means. You've got 63 people that have actually paid for the tickets, bought a ticket off the boxer or the venue to go to it. Yesterday you had the MTK one down at Brentwood in Essex. And that had 9,300 views, I think it was. Um, Now, say 1%. I've done the maths earlier because this was like on my mind. Say one percent, so ninety people wanted to go along and watch that. Like at forty quid a ticket, that's three thousand six hundred quid. You've lost out on it for revenue as a promoter, or more to the point, the boxers who have to sell these tickets. They have to sell say a hundred tickets, eighty tickets to fight. How hard is it when you're now? Mate- I'll watch online, mate. Exactly, your mate can just stay at home because what people sometimes don't understand. Small hall boxing and British boxing blog know this because you know they do a lot of stuff up north. They see it. The small hall boxing scene is built on friends and family of the boxers going along to the show. So you quite often see that people filter in and out. So they'll go in to watch their mate and then they'll leave and they'll all go down the pub, have a good time, and that's grand. That's absolutely grand. But if you then can tell your mate that actually you're going to be able to view it live on Facebook, who's coming along and paying their forty quid? So, like, 3,600 quid. Now, you tell me 9,000-odd views on YouTube. I looked it up. You get up to $2 per 1,000 views as a YouTube channel. So, that means they made £13.85 out of YouTube (laughs) for the viewing figures. So, where is... 
that 3,600 quid that you said of 1%, I think that's being like a little bit harsh on it. It's probably nearer 5 to 10% of people that may have bought a ticket off their mate or may have gone along and watched it. But 1%, 3,600 quid. You tell me where 3,600 quid goes to. Like, how do you get that back? Because nobody, when they're doing these live streams, is putting adverts on. And so that's one revenue stream that's straight away. So that 3,600 quid that's evaporated through not having ticket sales, where is it made up? So there's always the argument back that it's exposure for the fighters. 9,000 people have watched this. But what but the fuck is the that's point? That's that blogging bullshit as well. There's, you know, the blogger bellends like, I can get you exposure. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, how many impressions? But perhaps a, a more interesting question, therefore, would be to try and construct an argument for doing it in the first place. Clearly, these people aren't stupid. Do you want me but, to do that? So, but can I finish off? Okay, sorry, you're gone. <laughs> but <laughs> the fact is, like, the exposure, what is this exposure people talk about? And, like, how much exposure equates to one pound? Because there isn't. There isn't a set amount. There's no linear agreement there that 400 exposure equates to one pound there isn't that in place and so if you could show me a direct correlation between how many people view the show and then how many additional tickets are sold to the next show then brilliant i will buy into that if you can show me where three thousand six hundred pounds worth of additional advertising for the promoter comes along that's fine so if you said the ring ropes if you said the ring canvas if you said that you sold all that off for three thousand six hundred quid Okay, the promoter's doing all right, but what about the boxer? Don't forget the boxer works on a percentage of their ticket sales goes to them, and a percentage of the ticket sale goes to the promoter to pay for the opponent, to pay for the venue, etc., etc., and then to try and make a profit. But, whoa, whoa, you're derailing my train. Go on. So, if you're a promoter that cares about your fighter, you shouldn't be justifying it by how much sponsorship you can make to cover that loss of the ticket sales because the ticket sales is what funds the fighter. So if you can show me that the fighter is benefiting from the money, is benefiting from the thousands of views on YouTube, on Facebook, then fine. But you can't. Nobody can show me that. And if you can, brilliant. I would absolutely love to see it. I've had this argument online with people on Twitter before. If you can show me how it helps a boxer sell tickets for their next fight brilliant i will take that but i have never seen any evidence okay so can you really say though that broadcasting it live would dissuade friends and family from going to the shows yeah i think it would whoa, 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 of course terry's because... done it himself yeah I, 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 no, no, i'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> it's not as in illegal streaming no what i mean is you're like you're like well, you're saying that terry's rotted off his mates to watch him online because it's more if you've got no no okay no no, 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 no. So, so let me be brutally honest right take away the the televised level of boxer the small hall thing is bullshit like, not from top to bottom, but from mid to bottom is bullshit. It is. It's. it's it, it, we'll discuss this later. It's. It's a bunch of dreamers who are slightly deluded, but deluded enough to get their faces punched in. Right. That's not a sellable commodity. <laughs> when, when you're used to watching decent boxers on your TV screen, watching a bouncer and a bricklayer in a ring <laughs> is not a sellable commodity. Now, unless they're Romanians. No, no, <laughs> Those guys are against a mattress. No, no, so, so, so all these guys, <coughs> and, and there's certain people I exclude from this because they have a real purpose in the game. But all these guys who have spent three grand on cameras and road microphones, and they dream of getting their little press passes so they can run around a pokey venue like York Hall, and they can go on Instagram and go, "I'm important in the sport of boxing." Hey, you're fucking not. 
B, you're not helping the boxer because this is how boxers make money. You're a kid from Bermondsey. You supported Millwall your whole life. The lads around you watched you box from when you were a kid. Ted Cheeseman style. You're a Millwall fan. They're like, that's our guy. He represents our area. We're going to buy tickets off him because after the football, we can get pissed up and go up to the boxing. Same thing with Sam McNess. These guys have ready-made audiences. No YouTube video is converting those football fans to suddenly buy Sam McNess or Ted Cheeseman tickets. They have to work for their own graft. Now, I'm going to take what Martin said and turn it around and say, there is a way to stream this and make it viable. And you do this, and it's probably going to be coming. Um, I know this just from meetings I've had on other topics. You put these live streams behind a paywall on Facebook. Yes. Facebook has a captive audience of billions right now, right? Tommy Dove, we'll just say Tommy Dove, for example, he could put a show on and say, look, it's going to be live on our page. When you click on that page, it says, can you put £2.50 in to watch the boxing? Uninterrupted, in HD, full screen, however you want to watch it, £2.50. If your friend, friends and f- all your mates will pay 250 to watch you All box, the ones that wouldn't pay 40 quid to come for a ticket. Would pay 250 So you might have sold 50 tickets at two grand, right? But at least like three or 4,000 people might go, actually, I've seen that guy before. Fuck it, I'm going to see how he's getting on. And you can build it. Like, I boxing tickets have built this website whereby you can buy tickets for small hall fighters directly from the website and that money goes into their pot that they need to pay back to the promoter. I'm sure there must be a way that Facebook can do it. So that behind that paywall, you say, I'm buying it on behalf of Xboxer. So, so it, it would be, literally, it'll be some model of a Facebook pay. So you'd, you'd, you'd say that, I'll pay 250 Facebook take it out of your account instantly. You get unlimited access to watching it. They're, I mean, they pay enough clever people, enough money that they'll figure out how to keep it locked to whoever's account it is. So you can't just share your screen with a but million for £2.50 not that many people are going to bother trying yeah. to share it around do you know what I mean it's yeah so 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 you then want to do the the, econom- the econometrics behind it and go how many tickets would I sell at 40 quid let's say you sell a thousand tickets at 40 quid could I then sell 20,000 at £2.50 a go and you're not limiting yourself to the United Kingdom at this point so it's just anyone who's like fuck let me watch some boxing £2.50, whatever the equivalent is in Venezuela, you'd pay that. So you have an opportunity to tap into the Anglophile crowd in Hong Kong and Singapore, in Australia, who wouldn't have means to do it otherwise. So there are all kinds of options, but someone has to explore these. This idea that you, once you give a product away for free, you set the ceiling at zero. You devalue your own product. Who on earth wants to devalue your own product to the point that you give it away for nothing and you don't like just even if it was putting a sponsor's name up on the stream occasionally and you claimed 500 quid back from that but no one's even doing that like it's just look we've, we've ranted enough about it and i don't get no. it and i'm waiting yeah. for someone to and, come and, back and, and martin's right about this exposure thing right take your instagram followers divided by the number of people who have bought tickets off you yeah if you have anything greater than 20% call me Okay, 
John Smith asks, can you two please break down the finances behind Smallhawk Boxing? No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Blair asks, are there reasons to be optimistic for the next season of British Boxing? Uh, uh, do you want me to do my rant now? Go on, Terry. Yeah, like Because right. that's what, exactly what I we need, another rant. <laughs> now, let, let, let me sit back. Is there no positivity to be had from this question? Your Honour, I'd like to state the case for the people or the crown against Edward Theodore Hearn. (laughs) (laughs) Accepted. (laughs) Guilty. Um, Look, let's be honest, right? No one's really touched on this in the wider media. This has been a shocking year for Eddie Hearn. It's been a shockingly poor year for Eddie Hearn. Let's go through the losses, right? Kelbrook. Golovkin, loss. Errol Spence Jr., loss. Two fractured eye sockets, career in tatters. Um, James DeGale, a disappointing draw abroad against Badu Jack. Teeth smashed to bits, jaw ruined, shoulder absolutely screwed. He's not boxing again until probably 2018. So no revenue off that because that was all Al Heyman money. So there, so there's another disaster. Um, Crawler. Two defeats to Linares. Um, who else? Gavin McDonald lost to Reyes. Charlie Edwards. Um, who else? Who else has been beaten? Ahara Davis. Ahara Davis to Josh Taylor. Um, I, look, I'm not going to list them all now. You know, find me on my website. There's about 15 big losses in that matchroom stable in this boxing season. Not in this 12 month period. In this boxing season, yeah. And then look at the near misses. Bell you against Hay was, that was nearly a banana skin for him. Joshua Klitschko was nearly a banana skin. Craig Richards, nearly a banana skin. They're, they're all of these things that came close to really derailing Eddie Hearn. So whatever plans Eddie had this time last year, they're in a dustbin and they're in a landfill somewhere or they've been recycled and shredded because he has no pawns to play with. He, he's that guy, you know when you play chess against someone who's really good and all you have is your king and a rook and your <laughs> rook is trying to save this king until you realise, shit, there's a queen and a bishop so if I move, whichever way I move, I'm screwed and that's where Hearn is right now and that's why you're not seeing him on IFL that's why you're not, he's not very visible because he is like, shit, this is bad illustrating a point still no opponent for Dillian White um, on the Ndongo undercard Still no opponent for Katie Taylor. Still no idea where Katie Taylor's going, which leads me into the failed experiments. So we've talked about the defeats, the failed experiments. Katie Taylor hasn't moved the needle at all. Remember when they were talking about getting her big in Ireland? They had a show with Lee, what was it? Lee Haskins against Ryan Burnett. I I didn't even see Katie Taylor in the audience. That tells me that experiment's done. So they've put her out in New York in the hope that that Irish affiliation will somehow move the needle. It won't. Luis Ortiz was a spectacular disaster. <laughs> you know, two fights, two wins. David nothing Allen at five o'clock in front of eight people at the O2. Yeah. I don't know what you mean. And no, <laughs> So no one cares about that. And even worse now, Ortiz has trained his eye on Anthony Joshua. So actually the thing you're trying to prevent has now come to pass. Um, you know, why the experiments didn't work? Next gen experiment that hasn't worked. You know, then let's talk about all the missteps. 
the divorce of I mean with the Eubanks the beef with the Eubanks and now the Eubanks seemingly have ITV on an upward swing you know I know I had a dig at Richard Poxon last week I apologise it was a bit harsh it's all love Richard so when I see you we'll hug but the Eubanks are seemingly bigger and better without Hearn Frank Warren has upped his game let's be absolutely clear like Frank may not have the superstars that Hearn claims to have but Jesus, is he putting on solid cards on on free to air TV? And that's what's killing Matchroom at the moment. Is it's not free BT? Oh yeah, okay, but but not not. There's no additional pay per view cost, I should say. So you've got Warren upping the game. You've got the McGuigans on free to air TV for sure, upping the game as well. You've got Haymaker Ringstar coming in. So Hearn doesn't have his pick of the talent anymore. Right, right, but. But his original question was next season for British boxing, and I think that C- must has to encompass British boxers. We have to talk about Hearn because Hearn's which is f- no wait because Hearn is the greatest boxing marketer we probably had since Don King. Like he's made us believe stuff that we should never have believed. <laughs> so a lot of what happens in British boxing is driven by him, and we had such a bad season that actually next season won't be guided by Matchroom. We're more concerned with what Frank Warren does now, aren't we? What's going to happen with Fury against Parker? What's going to happen with Tyson Fury? What's going to happen with Billy Joe Saunders? Will he get the winner of Canelo Golovkin if he beats Willie Monroe Jr.? Another good fight, yeah? That's a fight Hearn would never make, but it's a fight that we do want to see. Um, All these questions now come into play because we're not so focused on Eddie Hearn now because he's, he's botched it. He's botched it and botched it badly. We're now looking at Frank Warren. I now want to know what's David Hay going to do with Joe Joyce. I want to know what's going to happen with Josh Taylor. And back to your original question, through Hearn's errors, and I hope he does admit that he's made a lot of errors this season, we're now interested in guys we weren't interested in a year ago because Hearn was rubbishing them a year ago, if you remember. He was laughing, making jokes about, you might not get paid, this, that, and the third. Let's see what happens. You know, at about Christmas when you know Hearn's struggling for pay-per-views and everyone else is moving ahead. I think the competition will be good. I don't think we'll get many of the top fights we're expecting because you know Heyman's decimating the game with his free-to-air TV, which will, for example, we'll discuss that when we discuss Broner. But next year will be just be good in terms of the competition will force people to actually make cards we care about. But, okay, I mean, you, wanted, you wanted to come in on something there, did you? Yeah, so we've got the first cards of the season announced by Matchroom. So you've got, I think they're doing a Matchroom, uh, next-gen show first weekend of September. Wow. And then you've got one in Liverpool where the three fights that are very heavily rumoured are to be Paul Butler versus Stuart Hall, Sean Dodd versus Tom Stalker, which is confirmed, and it's fucking terrible because Tom Stalker loses every time he steps up. And then Rocky Fielding versus David Brophy for the Commonwealth Super Middleweight title. So that's the three big fights that are meant to be, you know, headlining this show. So that's when the season starts, you're meant to be starting off on a high. You're meant to be building something that gets people interested because they've had that month off, they've had that August time off. And instead, we're getting that absolute shite to start us off for the new season. Like, if that's the benchmark you're setting, wow. Like, is that so that everything else looks better? Because it can't look much worse than that. And so for Hearn, like, I don't know what he's doing with this, but he's 
to have Rocky Fielding and they're talking about probably signing Paul Butler, I think it will be announced this week. Those two headlining a show in Liverpool. Like, what on earth? And so you've got, I mean, super middleweight is probably their strongest division at Matchroom, where you've got Callum Smith, you've got Jamie Cox, you've got Rocky Fielding. You can take two of them off the table. Callum Smith, Rocky Fielding, and going with his World Boxing Super Series that Hearn has said won't be shown by Sky. It's going to be somewhere else. So that takes them off the table. So I'm sure, okay, it'll be good for them if Callum Smith comes back and if he manages to come back with a world title, then that's great for them. They can rebuild him into matchroom. But in the meantime, for Hearn, he has to somehow cobble together the pieces and start making something for this season, which at the moment, it just looks terrible. If that's how you're kicking off September with a next-gen and that Liverpool card... Fuck me. Like, it's and, and, and look at how Frank Warren goes in. September. Billy Joe Saunders versus William Monroe. Canelo Monroy Golovkin. Yeah. And, and, and be absolutely clear about this, right? The only person in middleweight that could really trouble William Monroe Jr. is Golovkin. That's the level he's at. So that's not a... I'd that, chuck Danny Jacobs in. Yeah. But it's, it's not a marked time fight. That's a legit fight that's, no, a, yeah. that's a, yeah, yeah. Yeah. it's a harder fight point. than I could see that it's a damn hard fight for Billy Joe that's a fight that means something it's you can put that in your legacy in my opinion when you you know when you hang up the gloves because I fought Willie Monroe and you know he went on to do something after I retired um nice guy as well I mean, I've been in contact with him you know uh hopefully get him to come and train down at IG when he comes back to the UK but how do you see that going well the fight mm. in a nutshell um I'm going to back Willie Monroe because he does all the things Billy Joe does, but just slightly better. Okay. Mine? Um, I can see Saunders getting a controversial points win. Okay. Um, I, why, see, what I'm struggling with here is that if, if I, I'm sure you two can add to this, if I look at um, boxers that are bound to have an interesting at least six months after August... Um, I've got Eubank, Groves, Joshua, and Hay. All of them are going to have an interest. Uh, even if when's Hay due to come back? They're saying like October, December. All oh, right, okay. So you've got for British. I'm British boxing, and when I say that, I'm encompassing British boxers. But There's Eubank four. and Groves, you can chuck into the World Boxing Super Series alongside Smith and Cox, so they're off the table for say Sky. But yes, they could have a. Yeah, but interesting... in terms of British boxing, it's not yeah. like it's not like it's in it's in. I mean, yeah, you, you might be right. Hearn might have made some f- full steps and, and has struggled a bit. But in terms of British boxers, isn't, but isn't it a time of excitement? Until we yeah. know what the broadcast deal is with World Boxing Super Series, yeah. how can we be excited about what's happening with Eubank, Groves, Smith, Cox? Because there's talk of it going on to Premier Sports Channel or something I saw. <laughs> I, never even, I had to Google it. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> can you um, imagine? Like, Okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get these boxers, all these boxers. Wait a minute, you're going to... You're going to get all of the cruiserweight champions into what? Good luck, mate. No, I tell you, we were good at... Jesus, I tell you what, John, you've done... A, you've actually... You've you've blown my mind here. You've got an amazing two weight divisions smashed out of the part of this World Boxing Super Series. You haven't heard the best bit yet. We're going to stick it on some obscure channel where no one can watch this amazing event. Honestly, it's unlike Channel 903 next to Babe Station. <laughs> um, so... Just subscribe... For 30 years and send us four cockpits. But, but can... You say about Joshua. Joshua, we know he's going to either fight Klitschko or Pulev. Is it that exciting? Uh, yes. and, and it's looking like Klitschko's like, 
fuck this. Yeah, but are we that excited by it? Okay, it'll it's be an event. Be it'll be an event when it comes off. Yeah. But it's a fight we've already seen. Hey, probably ends up fighting Bellew. Am I that excited by that? <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. And so, even those names, I say you can segregate two of them and put them elsewhere for now. Uh, until we hear more about what's going on with that, and there isn't that long to find out, I can't be excited about it. Okay, okay. Um, looking further along in the timeline, uh, David McGinley asks, <coughs> if they met now or after a few pro fights, um, who would you back in a fight between Triple D or Joe Joyce? Or Daniel Dubois, for reference. Yeah, yeah. Great question. It's, the third D is dangerous, dangerous isn't it? Daniel dangerous. dangerous. Is it still dangerous as a dynamite? Oh, I don't know. Does it matter? <laughs> no. Diamante. <laughs> the quadruple D. So what, if they met in six months when they probably had a similar amount of fights and maybe Joyce has had like a couple more meaningful, maybe even like squeezed them in. I'm going with Joyce. Oh, really? I'm going with Dubois. I just think Joyce in six months' time will have had more meaningful professional fights than Dubois will, based on the trajectory we're seeing of Dubois' career fighting 68-year-old Mexicans for a youth title. <laughs> like, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not convinced. <laughs> I'm not convinced they're going to speed up that progress significantly. Whereas I think with Joyce they will. We saw him playing with a fidget spinner on the bus. <laughs> He's definitely in for the youth title. He's got a Nintendo DS. <laughs> I look He's got streamers off his Zimmer frame. Hand on heart, like I'm, I keep saying this. You know, you guys, have, how long have I been saying this? Dubois is just something different. Nah, you've never said that, mate. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> now look. Dubois has that thing where he's boxed up the weights, so he's 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 got that technical dexterity that Joyce has, and Joyce has fitness and I mean that brute force, which will get him a long way. But you know, when I see big men square up against each other, I always like to weigh it up in terms of who's got the better jab, and I just don't think yeah, Dubois has a fight changing jab. And how you know, he... doesn't this very much depend on how Joyce adapts to the professional arena? No, nah, well. Because we've talked before about him potentially just... Because he throws an awful lot. and Maybe he punches himself out in a longer fight. So the, the thing is, like in most other weight divisions, I think skill and experience are a big deal. I think in the heavyweights, because of the, the weight and the size of the punches and the size of the men involved, those raw physical attributes become differentiators. Like no one's going to be, as Mike Tyson say, no one's going to be a jackrabbit in there hopping around, you know, in and out of range, you know, to use a Woodallism. No one's going to be hopping in and out of range. It's going to be two men just going for it. Right. And it's about who can apply more force. And I just think Dubois has something different. He's younger, he's hungrier and under pressure. All he knows is boxing. Joe Joyce is a great guy. He's, I mean, urbane, he's articulate, intelligent, yep. cultured. His 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 range of interests is so broad that I do wonder when he's up against someone who's just so focused on boxing and winning, what happens at that point there? You know, I think him working with Salas is good, but stylistically, is that really the right thing for him? I don't know. I just think Daniel Dubois has something else. And can I just give a shout out whilst you mentioned about his like his different level of intelligence and things? He's got an art degree, hasn't he, Joe yeah. Joyce? And you've got Joshua Boazzi this week who's graduated from university as well. Like I know we've spoken about it before where people come from, their backgrounds, and can they go to those dark places? Like 
that'll be a test maybe that we'll see live with those two. So Boazzi and Joe Joyce, can they go to those dark places? But I mean, irrespective of whether they do or don't, like, isn't it great, I think, just to see two blokes that can be good role models to people that will get into boxing and follow them? Yeah. That you can actually get that education as well as building a successful the, amateur. And that, that diverse narrative from, from you know, because remember in the old days, it would just be the Eastern Europeans that, like, you know, the Klitsch goes to their PhDs. And we, you sort of mock them and go, oh, well, what could he do when it gets <laughs> tough? And they show what they can do when it gets tough. So it's good to see the talent pool in boxing diversify, which I think it has to do for a number of reasons. Yeah, but Anthony Joshua's a good role model. <laughs> just, they just, all you have to do is He's just a businessman. take history and then just change it. <laughs> then... No, but, 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 no, no, but Joshua is because... You know, he got on the right track. Yeah, it's yeah. fair enough. Yeah, yeah he he if changed anything, his own He's a good life. advert for boxing, giving yeah. someone a positive impact in their life. In another world, that guy is outside Westfield Stratford, just walking around with a walkie-talkie, making sure kids behave themselves. In another <laughs> world, he is. So you have to respect the fact that he said, "I'm going to change my life," and he did. And he's doing everything he can to make sure his life keeps going in that direction. Um. This is quite a profound question, actually, given some of the questions we get. Um, Jay White asks, is Anthony Fowler currently the biggest twat in boxing? <laughs> I mean, I feel like he's got a hell of a field of competition, <laughs> isn't he? <laughs> it's, it's, either, it's, it's him versus his trainer, right? <laughs> Coldwell. We've got a question specifically about Coldwell later on. Because oh, you know him and I had that little beef earlier in the week on, on Twitter. Yeah, I did see that. What's your problem with me? The fact that you keep lying and acting like you didn't know Hay was injured, for fuck's sake. <laughs> you know when you're there and you're like, look, because I remember, I remember getting on Raps On and actually just confronting him with logic. I said, Richard Towers comes to your gym. Richard Towers goes to Adam Booth's gym. Am I to believe that he has legitimately not heard anything about Hay from Adam Booth that he's passed on to you? And like you don't talk to Adam Booth yourself. It was embarrassing. The guy embarrassed himself. You know, uh, shouts out to at Big Vern forty six, and he he dropped me a few gems about Caldwell. You know, you never know if it's all true or not, but it was just a, it gave me a good chuckle to read. And apparently, <laughs> the guy's a real fucking scumbag. <laughs> apparently, <laughs> conjectures enough to get you on the pod, but. Um, is he the biggest? The, so, Annie Fowler, just to refresh my memory, this was the guy that was part of the trio of fighters that then decided to punch people on the ground, on their right. knees, yeah, yeah. at the Brooke Spence. Stepped up. Right, yeah. So, like, and then when he got out of the ring, he sat down, they went, um, Anthony, how did you see that fight? He was like, wow, the best way, the fight going, I didn't expect it to be that way. And what I'm really disappointed in myself was, and I was like, oh, fair dude, he's going to say that he punched one bloke on his knee, is that I didn't come out of the blocks fierce as I normally do. And I was like, you were punching some bloke when he was already down. I mean, I don't know how much more disappointing you can be about like, <laughs> like anything else before that. Such, yeah, I mean... Do you know what it was? As an advert for Biggest Twat coming from someone who isn't you know in right in the scene of boxing i'd say he's up he's got to be up i do still think though he's until paul smith retires he's always going to be fighting (laughs) for the regular title (laughs) there's there's a a throne that is sat upon until to to use a terryism maybe there's a point where he can pass the torch at some point i don't (laughs) know they're in the same city yeah it's easy (laughs) but the thing the the thing about fowler is this (laughs) racist we saw, look. We, we we saw the build up to the Olympics last year, and he was talking up there. He was talking like the gold was a foregone conclusion for yeah. him. Oh, I've been training harder than anyone. I mean, a he struggled to qualify. 
B, he, he got to the Olympics and he got put down in 12 ounce padded gloves. If that doesn't worry you, what does? And this guy's got the cheek to offer opinions on professional boxing. He was mugging off Eubank. He was giving shit to Eubank. Like, okay, Eubank hasn't achieved his potential possibly or what he might achieve or he maybe has achieved everything he but can. Only yet. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, there's still a, a long path to go. Like, Fowler's fucking him off before he'd even turn over. You don't even know how to punch someone on the ground, mate. <laughs> but the thing is, look, they're not even that far apart age-wise, are they? I think it's like a year and a half, yeah. two years between them. So let's see where Fowler... I'm just not sold on Fowler because that 154 division at world level, if I'm correct, the champions are what? Charlo, Charlo, Lubin... L- has Lubin got a belt? I, I know he's I know he's fighting for one. You think he's fighting Charlo for the belt. But look, just throw Lubin into the mix, throw Lara into Trout. the mix, throw Trout into that mix, Andrade, even some of those old war Who's horses. To say like, Canelo won't go back. Yeah. <laughs> All the war horses like Madrossi and Cotto. Anthony Fowler has a hell of a job just getting out of that division with a belt. He's got to get past Liam Smith and Liam Williams, like domestically. Great fight. Eddie Which Hearn is a great fight. That. That's, again, one that Warren has announced for the new season for October. Liam Williams, Liam Smith, the rematch. I love the name for it. Have you seen it? Yeah. No ifs, no buts. <laughs> After the headbutt. <laughs> no. Did they put the two Ts? <laughs> no, they just put it in a single one. Oh. But I think the, uh, you know, I like that. So, <laughs> But uh, again, it's a good fight that he's announced for October. He's getting in there early and getting those headlines. Who's, who else is on there? It's, it's also Nurse Catrell. Yes. Like, just those two in themselves are like, all right, Hearn, what have you got? Yep. Uh, Kenza Gray asks, would any of you three consider booking a holiday with first choice after 5-2 Dave Colwell's <laughs> revelation that his <laughs> was a bit dodgy? <laughs> so to add some context, yeah. Dave Coldwell put out on Twitter <laughs> a tweet. <laughs> a tweet to first choice holidays with a picture off his balcony saying like oh I booked a four star holiday to this place in Ibiza with a sea view and I can't even see the sea like it's in the distance somewhere so you've got people like if you're a bit taller you could see it Dave <laughs> <laughs> and then but oh, that's supposed to be five foot two Dave yeah Cornwell. yeah okay. and so he's proper like having a go at first choice but you booked a four star holiday in Ibiza mate what were you expecting through first choice like, that's why there's five star (laughs) (laughs) if you wanted a proper sea view go five star mate toilet flush that's why you didn't go three star you're clearly at a 350 quid per person all inclusive like holiday place which is perfectly fine but don't what what happened to what happened to that bell you purse clearly it wasn't as big as they claimed right yeah don't complain about what i would say is that first choice are shizer and i i have my own story about first choice i went on a snowboarding holiday with my ex (laughs) and you can see the sea (laughs) (laughs) it had melted (laughs) and uh I got, I got there, I got there on the bus, and uh, they came over and they gave us right, okay. What's your name? There's your snowboarding stuff and uh, like tickets for it. And I was like, what? One snowboarding token on one ski lift pass? They were like, yeah. I was like, but we wanted two. There's two of us. Why would we only pay for one? They were like, that's all we've got down one. So then I had to like explain. Well, anyway, then the fight ensued. But the so, fight, yeah. Oh, what fight? It was. It got nasty, mate. Did was it? it? Was Fowler there? Did, 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 yeah. did you start punching well, motherfuckers? As soon as I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't punch him until he was down. Then I started laying the boots Then the fight in. started. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you told him, mate, mate, just get on your knees. Yeah. yeah, I won't punch you until you're on your knees. 
Um, Porky Russ. Oh, shouts out to Big Burn, man. Yeah. Oh, man. If ever you want someone who just <laughs> who just detects bullshit on Twitter, there's the man right there. Okay, um, he asks his uh, question for the bud. Where are the McDonald twins going? What's the script with it to Gail? Are the Eubanks leaving ITV and are the BBC back on board? So, first of all, where are the McDonald twins going? Fucking nowhere. Yes, probably still ringing Eddie Hearn going, do you remember us? <clears throat> and what a shame that is as well. You've got two honest working lads, like they're still painters and decorators, nine to five. A world title holder. You know, <laughs> when they've left, um, who was it? Steffi Bull? Uh, Steffi Bull or Dennis Hobson. Dennis Hobson. That was it. When they left Dennis Hobson, Dennis Hobson helped Jamie McDonald get that WBA title initially. I think it was WBA or WBO. I can't remember which one. Um, he got in the title fight at the Keep Moat Stadium, like his hometown football stadium. And then he's clearly been sold a dream a number of years back by Hearn that, like, you know, he had to drop that world title. He's gone and won another one. And then Hearn just fucked him off. Like, sent him to fight Kameda twice. And what's he done for him? Like, yeah, he got him that dodgy win over in Monaco. Like, I, I don't know how that was ever a win, but whatever. Yeah. But what has Hearn done for McDonnell? And, like, yes, you can argue for Gavin McDonnell. He helped him out, got him that Reyes fight at, uh, at Hull. But who did he fight arena. afterwards? And where did he fight afterwards? And then he went on to a Doncaster Dome Steffi Ball show. Like, what a fucking joke. Like, these two brothers, Jamie McDonnell, will have earned Hearn quite a bit of money out of his time and what have they done like what's he done for them has he secured their future has he made it so they don't have to go and do the nine to five paint and decorating no so where do they go i've no idea because hearn clearly doesn't care about them enough to make a difference and the only thing is you've got ryan burnett around there now so they'll clearly start to move that paul butler coming in they'll start to make that fight but only so that you can sacrifice them to a paul butler that you can sell in liverpool whereas mcdonald's uh, you know, then they're, they're not from about, a popular boxing yeah, place, they, they, so they're not profitable. Exactly. It, it, yeah, it's it's the way the McDonald's been treated, absolutely embarrassing. Um, if you're a boxing fan and you're not tweeting Hearn about all of his missteps, this is you know instead of just going Hearn, you're a cunt, Hearn, you're a prick, which he doesn't listen to and he ignores and like it Boy, never gets you. any traction. Yeah, well, I'm still not blocked, luckily. But I've got the second account. Don't worry, I've, I know but, someone who can get you there, mate. <laughs> but no, no. If you're look honestly, just keep asking Hearn. Where are all of these guys that he used to talk up? Even playing the video clips where he's talking up how good they are, because he's dropping people. And on one level, I can understand you dropping certain people who haven't delivered, but you're still giving John Ryder chances. Like, I, I, I look. When it comes to Hearn, I don't get it. Maybe he's just done with boxing outside of London, Essex and Kent. To be fair, you, you two have touched on this before, that um, if you're a boxer, one of the main attributes that you can have in order to be at least given chance after chance is have lots of people buying tickets to come to your events. You've both mentioned that before, especially you, mine. So I guess maybe that's why, you know, flip it. That's why they're not. But how... <laughs> Again, we talk about that exposure thing, but you've got a Sky platform of a world title holder. Build them. Yeah, and and they might would make sell sense. Tickets, Given his but... his love of putting those crappy shows on, where it's world title fight, and it's actually you know two blokes fighting over a, the JJF world title, and you know the regular title or some crappy title. That, yeah. Given his love for that, it seems odd that he wouldn't just stick him in a show and then say it's a world title fight. But uh, you, I've said this before, right? There's a limited budget at Matchroom. 
And I have a feeling AJ sits on about 80% of it. And anytime Hearn goes, needs some money. No, Eddie, no. So could it be a good good thing if Joshua does leave Matchroom next year? No, because... Money goes. Wouldn't it force... Hearn to then actually think about what he's going to do next. I've well, been just looking forward to the well, next no, Joshua fight. He spent fight. his whole life watching Daniel Dubois fights going, fuck. Or Josh Taylor. He's going, fuck. <laughs> or, or that Scottish guy, David Haystein, going, fuck. <laughs> well, because they're not another AJ. Well, no, just because everything he, he sacrificed in the pursuit of AJ, like he took his eye off the ball. You know, how the hell do you let Josh Taylor just slide on out? Like, it's not like Josh Taylor got good yesterday. Do you know what I mean? So, the guy, what's the next bit of Russ's question? Okay, okay, let's move on then. Um, <laughs> so, exasperated. <laughs> what's the script with DeGale? Injured, as far as I know. Um, there are problems. So, Badu Jack basically showed us DeGale has no power. And he has no stamina. And he's looking to be brittle, right? These are not good combinations. The Groves fight will never happen. If 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 I could read anything into what Groves has said over the last few months, publicly and privately, he doesn't need the DeGale fight because in his head, he's like, what if I just bypass DeGale and fight Ward? You know, secures my legacy, even if I don't win that fight. If I win that fight... I'm so far ahead of DeGale that it'll make him sick for the rest of his life. Groves doesn't like DeGale and he will do everything he can to make DeGale's life hell. DeGale, from what I'm hearing, is not applying himself in the gym and he's not listening to his training team. He's he's in that position where he's thinking, I can train myself. So it's always, I mean, when you get to that point of hubris, it's always a sign that maybe you're on your way down. We'll find out when he returns because... He'll have to fight someone of substance, maybe a David Benavides. And if you couldn't deal with Porky Medina, I'm somewhat worried by how you'd face a David Benavides. And it'll be interesting to see where he returns as well. Yes, maybe ITV. Speaking of ITV, are the Eubanks leaving ITV? Uh, They may end up short-term leaving ITV if this World Boxing Super Series goes somewhere. Um, uh, (laughs) Who knows? You, know, you don't know with the Eubanks. They might just say, do you know what? We want to run ITV Boxing. And if they're not offered that, then then they'll go to Sky. And Sky will take them and they'll force Eddie to take them. And they'll say, look, you're going to deal with these guys because if we don't have them, someone else will. And we'd rather have AJ and Eubank Jr. on the same card because we don't have anything else in this fucking operation. But when the World Boxing Super Series stuff gets announced, it will clear up an awful lot of question marks over other things. Can I ask a quick question? He's got one more question. But, like, could... By the by the end... Let's say this World Boxing Super Series, it's a Eubank Gross final. And Eubank... No, those two are meeting in the center. Oh, sorry. Yeah, right. Okay, so sorry. <clears throat> that, um, but Groves... Say Groves batters Eubank and then Joshua loses to Klitschko. What is the most damaging loss for either each of those two? Uh, I think, given the fact that we forget Billy Joe Saunders beat Chris Eubank, I think we would soon forget that George Groves had beaten Chris Eubank by the fact that Chris Eubank Sr. would repaint it as a completely different outcome. Uh, I think Joshua will be remembered. Because if he loses to Klitschko, chances are he loses 
on his ass like horribly. But I don't think he will. Um, but it, it would damage him for a short term. But he can be rebuilt. They can both be rebuilt. It's very few boxers come back from a knockout defeat, especially heavyweights. Like, look how long it took Lennox Lewis to rebuild after Rackman. It's a long process back because when you look unbeatable and unbreakable and you portray that monster image, if a 41-year-old man puts you in your ass, it's hard because that's not a prime Klitschko. If it was a prime Deontay Wilder, you just go, actually... Yeah, but 90% of the AJ fans think it was a prime Klitschko because they're yeah. fucking clueless. But, but if, it was, if it was Wilder, for example, you'd just be like, that is different gravy. That's what you say. That's what they say. Oh, he's, ah, he's different gravy, mate. But if Klitschko does it, I think it's really damaging. Whereas if Groves beats Eubank, you're like, Groves is special. But if Klitschko beats Joshua, all it means is we get a trilogy. <sighs> yeah, exactly. For <laughs> <laughs> God's sake, Joshua. He's going to be about 50 when he retires, <laughs> Klitschko. He'll just keep... <laughs> they'll get it all over the place. Nigeria, Wheeling him out. Dubai. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, um... Uh, and his last question, Big Van's last question, is, are the BBC back on board? I don't know the reference this question. Context? Um, well, remember the BBC were really into boxing. You had Audley Harrison, then you had the David Hay thing. And then they got burnt by Harrison basically being a cock about boxing. One million pound later. Yeah, just being an absolute cock. And so they were like, we're not doing Can this anymore. A little bit of context. So they paid Audley Harrison a million. For ten fights. And he was fighting guys like Dominic Negus. Martin Rogan. Yeah. Just <laughs> can't be a Martin he, he he fought he <laughs> fought people who are so horrible. And and he actually justified it by saying, They've already given me the money. I promote myself. I will choose my opponents. And very That was a pretty dumb move by the I mean, BBC. Oh <laughs> shit. We have as well, haven't we? Yeah, oh, Has that uh, check cleared? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're there you're there on PayPal trying to set up a dispute. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get the response back you did say 10 fights and he has given you 10 fights which is similar to why Jamie Cox apparently might be fighting in Georgia this evening in Georgia? yeah apparently he might be um, yeah he might be fighting over in Georgia allegedly to allegedly help get to the end of the uh, crossover period of contracts so that the World Boxing Super Series money won't be paid anywhere else so expect the World Super Series money to be paid to Frank Warren. That's all I'll say because every time they've tried this, this right? shit don't work. Unless you're in a Barcelona leisure centre, this shit don't work. <laughs> you, you know what? Why don't people just ring Frank and go, mate, I'll give you 10% of my purses. I'm right? trying to put one over you. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just go? Um, Jack Blair is asking another question. Uh, he goes... First, it caveats this with, I think you might have answered this before, which we definitely have, but who do you feel are the best trainers and coaches in currently in British boxing? No one in Essex, right? Yeah? Be absolutely clear about this. Absolutely nobody in Essex. What about Manchester? Manchester. No one in Greater Manchester. Maybe in Manchester. Hat- Hatton's all right. You know, he's getting there. But I'm not impressed by anyone not called Adam Booth, if I'm being honest with you. Um... The Tibbs family, I'll always respect. I think they're good trainers and they're steeped into the soul of British boxing. But let's start shining some light on people who are on the way up. Um, so, Billy Rumble, 
will take his first steps in earnest in September, maybe September 16th. Um, he'll have a young fighter called Martin McDonough. I like Bill. Bill's 25, 26. He's young. He was a pro himself, you know, good amateur. He's from that rumble stock. So he's really old school boxing, but he's quite progressive with it. So I'm really excited to see what he does in the pros. Um, his brother, Charlie, will make ventures into the pros in, I mean, with a real vengeance this year. He's so, already got one pro fight, hasn't he? Yeah. So the whole Ken Gloves thing's taking off, which is good. I mean, get behind those two because that it'll be exciting. But you're struggling. Like, if you're a young fighter and you really want to train right now, who who would I even recommend? You might go with the Sanagar, for example. Yeah. Dominic Ingle, maybe. But you have to be the right fit for him. I'm going to throw a curveball out there. I'm just going to say Clinton Woods. If you can get time with Clinton Woods, do it. I'm just a big Clinton Woods fan as a boxer, as a man, and hopefully as a trainer. Is he still Sheffield-based? I think so, yeah. So there's Clinton Woods Boxing Academy. Um, but look, golden rule, when you ever want to know about trainers, virtually all the best trainers in this country are in the amateur clubs. Like, you can't compare the levels between amateur and pro. The amateur coaches are miles better. Why? They do it every two to three years. They produce champions. Yeah? Conveyor belt. Is there more money in amateur coaching? Than There's there fuck all money in it. These guys just do it for love. But what about they... Team GB? Uh, so, a while ago, I was tapped up to join, and it wasn't worth the pay cut. Okay. Um, Damien Taylor, do you want to well, speak about say, that? Listen, McCracken's on 150 a year as performance director at Team GB and he'll be only considerably more than anyone else there you know so I mean 150 who cares about us trifling <laughs> right okay um, if any of you would like a trifling amount at 150k uh, feel free to put your name forward plus plus AJ funds <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> I'd imagine he gets more from AJ than he does from Team GB well, and formerly Frodge it's, it's, it's why he hung on to him yeah maybe you, you want to box in the Olympics yeah Sign, sign here. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> For reference, uh, Terry's eyes went wide open and he had a, as though he was going to say something And then his legal brain kicked in. Yeah. Went, nah, yeah, like, nah. Uh, how much slander can one podcast take? <laughs> and then he... He and, bottled it. Yeah, Let's be honest. portcullis came he down it. and he didn't say anything. I quit. <laughs> uh, Damien Taylor asks... How do you expect Billy Joe Saunders' training approach, um, performance to change now that he's part of the Ingalls setup? I don't, it's an odd fit for me. Um, Billy Joe Saunders, very well schooled amateur. Um, we'll know his background to that. Ingle is famed, you know, certainly the older Ingle side of it. Um, Brendan, but now uh, up with Dominic, famed for creating these awkward um, boxers. Is that going to fit with Billy Joe Saunders? Is Billy Joe Saunders going to fit with them? It's always worrying when you flip between the, the tib side of it and then booth for a couple of months and then up to Ingle. I don't think he'll be there long enough that it'll have any great impact. I think he'll be there through the Monroe fight and I don't think you'll see a different Billy Joe Saunders because you very rarely see significant changes um, through the first fight of a trainer. They just try and get you through that fight and then try to work on you. I doubt we'll see him with uh, Ingle 
post Monroe, if I'm honest, because he's a family man. Um, you know, I know he's talking about being up in Sheffield gets him away from the home comforts, but in reality, you know, he's, he's from that travelling background. They they have family links and connections. I don't see that he's going to be able to survive a Monday to Friday being up in camp, you know, every week for eight weeks building up to a fight. I just, I don't think it'll fit his lifestyle. Well, I think I often he fights. I think he'll be all right. <laughs> Once a year, <laughs> spare eight weeks. <laughs> uh, look, there's, there's, I think there's a massive myth around the Ingle gym that, you know, it's all fucking octopus style, fucking matrix style movement. A lot of the guys that come out of the Ingle gym are just fundamentally sound boxers, actually. There's no there's no real flesh, there's no real bells and whistles. There's only one Prince Nassim Hamid that, that's ever come out of the Ingle gym. Everyone else is pretty solid. And what Dom Ingle's good at is being, you know, a guy who will drill the fundamentals into you. Billy Joe doesn't need that. But what he does need is he does need that Ingle environment where anyone will spar you and anyone will give you hell. I think he needs that in terms of, you know, you're the big man on campus here. We're, we're all looking to take shots at you guys are Tyam Booth. Um, Kid Galahad will be in there probably having a dig as well. Kel Brook will be in there having a pop. You know, even some of the old war horses would come out just for a few rounds with Billy Joe, like a Ryan Rhodes and so forth. So, he, he'll get that kind of challenge, which I don't think he'd get in most other gyms, which will keep him on his toes. Okay, do you think... Uh, sorry, Danny Watley asks, uh, at Big LaRusso, asks, do you think Shannon Briggs has blown his big chance now, or can you see him coming again? I did. But the whole steroid thing has been so low profile, mm. and the ban is seemingly going to end so quickly that He'll just be back and he'll start hounding Klitschko. If Klitschko loses to Joshua, he'll start hounding him again. so insignificant, but though. Like, I, I th- look, we've said it here before, haven't we? The worst thing Shannon Briggs could ever do in his career is fight again. As long as he's the underdog chasing everyone. If he had a couple of years chasing Joshua and off the back of that he was selling T-shirts, hats, belts, um, bumper stickers, spinning rims leather sofas. If Shannon Briggs was just selling stuff based on the let's go champ thing, as long as he kept chasing the right fighters, he'd be all right. He doesn't need to step in the ring again. He's what? not Bernard Hopkins. You know, he, he ballooned to 400 pounds. He's back down with a combination of green tea and Hard green work. vegetables. Yeah. But dedication. See, if, he, if for example, Bell, you fights Hay and then let's say Hay wins this time. And then Shannon Briggs came on the scene. I, I almost could like foresee a second tier of heavyweights if Shannon Brick started hassling them two for whatever reason and then said I'll fight the winner of you two whatever good gold champ whatever and then you could sort of see like this second tier like I say of because of, I just can't see Shannon Briggs as relevant to the, I'd like the to see him against Dillian White yeah, but then, and again Dillian White's still in that second tier isn't he like yeah of, but, 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 but that's what look we did, we discussed this, and I think when I, when I was talking about Eddie Hearn, one of his other failed experiments was what I call the mid card wars. Remember when he went through a phase and he was like, "If I get Martin Murray against the Gay Brasado, I can have a war." So even if you say that this, the main event wasn't pay per view, you got a war out of it. And he tried to do that with was it Arnfield and Rose? Yeah. Oh, let's just get a war. Like you know, those mid card wars, and he failed with that. But. That's what Dillian White's there for. He's there for those mid-card wars. Like, you know, what he had with Chisora, 
Uh, I don't know who he's going to fight in America. My instincts tell me it'll be someone like Malik Scott. But, you know, hopefully it's not. It'll be someone like a Malik Scott. Um, it won't be Brazil. But it's yeah, just some washed up heavyweight. Um, and that's somewhat disappointing. But, you know, where does Briggs fit into all of this? He's just going to be a guy who entertains. And he shouldn't fight because... You know what I mean, he's not going to. Can he? Can he just like make a healthy grill or something? So if you if you um if you was going to set up your Terry's Boxing Association, would Shannon Briggs get in the top ten heavyweights? Shannon Briggs wouldn't be sanctioned. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, right, boxing fan, UK boxing fan six, with Sky not backing three of their fighters by not buying into the World Boxing Super Series, does this spell the end of Matchroom's monopolised reign as number one promoter? I think it will, as I said earlier, you know, it, it's probably their strongest division and it significantly weakens their hand domestically as number one. Yeah. I suspect it's because you've got to buy all of it. And do they really want to be involved in that? Um, I don't know if that means you have to buy all of it in terms of the cruiserweights and the super middles, but think of how many TV slots Hearn's got. 20 per year with Sky for standard Saturday night fight nights. If you're committing to this, you're committing to... Uh, I don't know how many fights it would be, but you've got eight people, so you've got 14. four first-round fights, and you've got two, and then... Se- yeah, so seven fights, so 14 Saturday night fight nights. Now, fair enough, you could fob seven of them off as international ones, because the cruiserweights won't be in the UK, but there's going to be a UK interest for at least five or six of them. So then that will take up an awful lot of his chunk of, of Sky time, given that he's only got 20-odd uh, you, fight nights. What's he going to fill it with? Well, yeah. I mean, that might even be beneficial for him. He might have made a massive faux pas with that. Another one. I would have bought that because I would have then said, right, we're buying the rights to this, but you're going to stick Lawrence Ciccone on this somewhere. You're going to stick Josh Boatsy on this somewhere. And then you're seeing a return. Would would you be compelled to buy both? Cruiserweight? I don't know if you'd have to buy both, but... Even if you did, I say the the international content doesn't affect his domestic content. So there's 20 dates that he's got isn't affected by the overseas ones like Garcia Brona this weekend. Um, isn't affected into those 20 dates that he's got. Can I, so, can, I, can I ask something? Does anyone else now think these pay-per-view numbers were being told are bullshit? I've always thought they yeah. are. Because if the numbers that were being quoted were true, Sky would be saying, we're getting some of the best against the best. Why the hell wouldn't we throw money into this? Yeah. But I think the reality is Sky aren't making that much money off pay-per-view. And they've looked and they've gone, the only man who really moves the needles is David Hay. Not to... Right, can I start again? Anthony Joshua. Anthony Joshua. <laughs> but, I mean, if you said... You're right completely with regards to that. Sky, if they were making that much money, could look at it and say very, very realistically, in six months' time, you could have Groves Eubank as a fucking fight in this World Boxing Super Series in the semi-final, and Eddie, you haven't bid for it. If they're selling a million for AJ Klitschko, you could realistically say half a million for Groves Eubank, which would be the second biggest pay-per-view domestically over here. Half a million is probably underselling it, if a million is true, which it isn't, I would suspect, <laughs> allegedly. Um, 
then yeah, this Groves Eubank coming up in six months' time ought to be on every boxing broadcaster's hit list of fights that they need to broadcast, not want to broadcast. Because that will be golden through the build-up. It will be golden. It'll be a good fight if it happens. I say, assuming they both get through to it, every broadcaster should be falling over themselves to get that. And the fact Sky are ruling out doing it is just odd. I think there there are revenue issues, and we've suspected this for a while. The money that people say is available in boxing isn't. I don't, you know, people saying Joshua made twenty million from fighting Klitschko. Prove it. All that sort of stuff. Just prove it. Because he's working too hard for a guy that seemingly got tens of millions in the bank. Um, Paul Altay. I'm assuming that's. Uh, feel free to uh, write us a phonetic pronunciation of your name on Twitter, Paul. Um, he asks, who out of the current crop of fighters do you think has the best chance of dominating their division, uh, becoming undisputed champ? Josh Taylor for me. I think in terms of if we're talking, I suppose if you're talking all of the current set, then you may pick a current world champion. But the current world champions we've got, aside from AJ, are pretty much, you know, either peaked or on the decline. So I don't think you're going to see any of them. So you've got to look at somebody on the way up. AJ has the potential because the heavyweight division isn't particularly strong. Um, But, you know, Josh Taylor is one that, at light welterweight, could move up to welterweight even. Um, I think if you're looking three years down the line, four or five years down the line, he has that potential. Right, we've got a um a question from Adult Arthur. literacy issues here, guys. <laughs> and uh, I can see why you didn't send it to us on Twitter, Arthur. If I'm honest, <laughs> <laughs> it would have been one backslash fifty two. Um, so uh, Martin, sum up this question. Yeah. It's concerning white collar boxing and the emergence of additional bodies. So yeah, he, he didn't send me the abridged version. He sent me the uh... <laughs> yeah. The slightly fuller version. So long and short of it, um, Arthur is asking where white-collar boxing kind of came about five years ago to start to come to prominence in the UK. I know it's been around a lot longer than that. I'm just talking its popularity in the UK and building. It was kind of initially built with the charity aspect in mind, but now you've got lots of different people that are coming along and promoting different shows. You get ex-pros, likes of Ross Birkinshaw, Tommy Martin, that are building their own shows around the country as well, so it's seeing it endorsed by ex-professionals. Um, is it that you now lose that charity element entirely and it's just done for business purposes? Which, you know, don't get me wrong, initially it would have been done for business purposes anyway. And is it just a bunch of lads that want to pose for, you know, fist clench photos, have a dust up, uh, and if they genuinely want to progress, would their faith be better served turning to their local amateur boxing gym and supporting the recognised structure? And to give it a little bit like this, we're looking to hopefully get on a white collar boxing lot in August when it's a little bit of quiet. Not, not after my answer, we won't. <laughs> so yeah, no, be brutally honest uh, with okay. us. Like, see, my my thought on this is that, um, and this may be because. Uh, I, I myself, I've never done it, um, as has been well documented on this podcast. Martin's done it twice. Uh, I've got another friend, Nate, who's done Undefeated! it. Undefeated! <laughs> and I've got another mate, Pete, that's done it, right? How'd they uh, get on? They both, they both didn't win. How'd I get on? <laughs> One twice, I'm just saying. <laughs> Two out of four wins, um, both sitting around this table. Right, so it may be the fact that I have several friends that TV. have done this but for me it's if i wanted to get involved in boxing for me that seems 
much more accessible. To then go down to an amateur boxing club and go, hi, I want to box at 34 years of age. I Now, whether this is right or wrong, I don't know, but I feel like I'd be like, sneered at like what the fuck are you doing in this boxing gym mate who the fuck do you think you are yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who, who's this ginger uh, yeah. mug with his what? fucking you beard you haven't been boxing since you were four months old <laughs> fuck off mate <laughs> <laughs> who the fuck do you think you are well I just thought I'd give it a go give it oh, a go look, you think you can give it a go in the fucking yeah, room you don't play this sport yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you've got to be born into it your dad fucking... better be a fucking heavy bag yeah, otherwise mate. you now and you'll look. fucking quiff me. Get out of <laughs> You can't gym. tell me you want to do it. You've never been in the ring. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I don't understand. Yeah. So for me, I, I can understand his concern with the whole charity aspect, but I would have thought that anything that makes the 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 sport more accessible is has got to be a good thing no. for the sport. No. Okay. <laughs> Andy. Andy. Well, well, let's go back to your former career, right? Of? When you were... Tinderologist. No, no, no. When you were... When, <laughs> When you were protecting, when you were protecting these shores from harm, Tinderologist. Uh, <laughs> no, no, he was sweeping no. up all our women. Now, no, no, look, I've done airsoft shooting, right? And I've run around bunkers with an airsoft pistol, yeah. dressed up in all the gear. <laughs> I can't come and sit next to you and go, mate. I know exactly what it's like, can I? Because then you're looking at me, you're looking at me almost with pity, aren't you? You'd be like, which. Talk, talk to me about this. Yeah, I suppose in a way. No, no, let's be honest. No, no, let's be honest. If we were drinking in Catterick and I was there with my airsoft background and we'd necked a few at this point, <laughs> I would have been dragged outside by about six either present or past squaddies, given a real kicking and gone, what the fuck do you know about being in the army, right? right. Because wait, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And my, my logic behind that is this. There are certain intangibles that make the experience real and it's not just you get to run around with a firearm in a uniform it is when you're sleeping you don't know if you're going to wake up the next day right i don't i don't want to you know trigger anything <laughs> so bear with me <laughs> sorry mate. um but what, what i'm trying to say is this oh, i'm not bothering about, oh. about people driving no. <laughs> god flashbacks no what, what, what i'm trying to say is Look at look at the dream these guys are selling you. In twelve weeks, you can go and tell the woman you're talking to in a bar that you're a boxer, but you're not really. You you went to a gym for twelve weeks. They gave you the most condensed basic education that you couldn't even execute in the ring. I've seen these white collar bars, <laughs> yeah. and to a man, they're all shit. Whoa, whoa, whoa! They're all shit. I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> no, when you compare it, like even if I compare it to the worst small hall show, I'm like. It's just a bunch of lads not having a pub fight instead just doing it in a ring. Doing windmill and, impressions. And, and, and fair enough, because after 12 weeks, that is exactly what you should be doing. But it's not boxing. I'm not 100% anti-white collar. What I am saying is respect what you're... When you call it white collar boxing, it's not boxing. Because if I ask, if white I ask, collar fight yeah, I was going to say, can't call it white collar what, fighting. What, what, you may as well, because... One of the things, and we'll talk about intangibles, one of the things that, that really makes a boxer is that point where you have no choice but to do it. I don't want to be all Chris Eubank here. So if you're a oh, welterweight, if you're a, let's say you're a welterweight and you're like, shit, I've got to come in on weight. And you've got those four or five weeks of just being grumpy as fuck, pissed off, having to find energy to train even though you can't really eat like you'd like to. All of these small things that add up 
and they make it part of the wider experience. The 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 thing of getting your face punched in in week one, and a year down the line, you're like, shit, I can jab, I can move, I can do all of these things. Two years down the line, you're comfortable. You're in a gym bringing people on now. You're in there sparring. You're getting into a routine. There are all these things that really make you a boxer. Because when you see all boxers talking, yes, they talk about the fights, but they mostly talk about the stuff around. Because boxing means something to those involved in it. And I'm not saying that to exclude people, because I think everyone should just walk in. Have a couple of years in a boxing gym. If I, you do that and I, say, I want to do a white collar bout, most people I don't, will support you. I don't really understand why it's a problem for people, white collar white collar right, lads to get involved in white collar boxing even though it's not real boxing I think you've almost just answered your own question what Terry is saying is that when you do it respect what you're doing yes. and so look I've done it and I enjoyed it and it gave me a massive buzz and I learned some skills I didn't have before but I realised if I walked into the local amateur gym and said, let's go spa with your 18-year-old around my weight, I'd get my fucking cunt kicked in. I would get my absolute... Yeah, but that goes the same for if you're playing in a, like a, no, a work no, football no, no. charity. But if you let me finish, you let me finish. Right, I recognise that. There are certain people out there that don't recognise yeah. that. There are certain people out there that do white-collar boxing that then will call themselves semi-professional boxers. <laughs> There are certain people out there, and I can understand entirely where professionals and amateurs that are legitimate, like I would never have the nerve to call myself a boxer. Well, I'm somebody who's done a couple of white collar bouts, thoroughly enjoyed them, and now train a bit of boxing and learn some more fundamental skills. I'd never have the nerve to compare myself on a level with somebody that's been doing it for that period of time. I still don't understand why it matters. But no, 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 wait, wait, hold on. It doesn't matter to you. Because your mate might come over and go, yeah, yeah, I'm into this boxing luck, right? And, you know, suit with your super cash beard, you're, you're quite, <laughs> you're, 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 you're like, you'll nod, you'll nod, you'll nod your head in agreement and go, all right, mate, I hope, I hope it's good for you. That's fine. Actually, like, no, I can, I can, I can relate to this now. Now you say it, it's just reminded me of um, what you get is the, I, I follow a military banter site called uh, Fill Your Boots and they go, what they call is walt hunting and it's like, um, they call themselves uh uh, Walter, Walter Mitty's that that say, oh yeah, I was in the SAS, and they post all pictures of themselves of like random things, and then blokes just hunt, like go through all their shit and go, this bloke was never in, like they tell, they say they're part of a regiment, and then someone will come from that regiment and go, who the fuck's this geezer? Like he's never been in this regiment in his life, and, and, and yet they're telling everyone that they're in the special forces and shit, and so, it's offensive, right? Because okay. because because you're yeah. there, you're there going. When I signed up, I didn't know if I was going to see the end of my term, right? Let's be honest, and and so there's a certain threshold you have to cross where you can nod your head and go, I'm part of this thing. And that's not to say white-collar boxers can never be part of it, because you can go from white-collar into going, I want a few amateur bouts. Fair enough. I have no issue with that. Or, or, or look, I know guys who have been in gyms for years, and then white-collar came about, and they're like, that's a relatively safe way for me to get involved. But then I have a safety concern. Because I'm like, mate, you've been in this gym for five years. I know what you can do. You're going to go in there against a no-bouter who might have only had 12 weeks training. 
that's not safe. Oh, okay. That comes okay. down to so, uh, the general setup, and I've been to some of these events. Oh, mate, mate, yeah. I'm, I'm not disagreeing. Yeah. All I can yeah. talk from is personal yeah. first-hand experience where they've been good, but I know there are ones that are bad. Yeah, I've, what, I've pulled people out. I say, so what, what happens if I decide wake up in the morning after serious blow to the head the previous evening, emptying my loft, and uh, and, I, and I think to myself, you know what? I actually want to go and get my face panted in at a boxing club. By the way, if should, I, we, okay. should we draw a line under soon in case we get these people in in August and we can have this? debate with them alright yeah they need to hear my this question so is, to know if, what's if coming if I went if I went to my local amateur boxing club which I have no idea where it is but if I did and turned up as uh, an out of condition 34 year old bloke and said I want to learn how to box what? how would I be received well you'd have to prove it so let me give you an example of me I walked into Fitzroy Lodge in 2003 and I'd, I'd been involved in boxing prior to that but even then, they looked at me and they were like, yeah, whatever, mate. Because you have to, and I think people struggle with this. Do you know how many times you see that in an amateur club? A guy shows up, has one session, fucks off, never comes back. So there's a, there's a cynicism built in because not many people last the course. So I showed up and I trained, I did my thing. And there were two guys at the end of the day, they look at you. Mick Carney, God rest his soul, she shook his head and went, nah, you're not for this club. A guy called Billy Webster, who was like his partner in crime, was like, what do you mean, no, Mick? Look at the left hook he's got on him. No, no, you stick a jab on that. It'd be lovely. So Bill was like, you can come back on Thursday, but you need to be better than you were today. So I came back on Thursday, trained my balls out, like literally went hard. And then after that, I was just allowed to keep coming, keep coming. And I was there and they'd, they'd tell me, to, nah, before you can spar in this gym, you got to do this, you got to do it. And I did everything. And one day you get that tap on the shoulder. You don't you, just, you don't get it by right. You get the tap on the shoulder, which is get your gum shield on, you're going in. And I went in with with a kid called Anthony Small. Um, those who know boxing kind of know who Anthony Small is. Um, got my head rearranged badly, but really fucking enjoyed it. You know, and I kept, you know I mean, I was always involved in that scene. I've, you know I mean, I've been in, you know I mean, in the ring with guys who've gone on to represent their countries and stuff. And that level is is a shitload of fun. And you realise how tough it is at that level. And if, and if these guys were going through that, fair enough. Call yourself a boxer. If not, just say I did a few white collar bouts. Right. And, so, under, and acknowledge your limitations. So, so, so the, the main gripe is not with white collar boxing, is it? It's those people that do the it. And then, and then pose with the pictures and, well, no, and make it out to be more than it is. It's is more that- nuanced than that. So, so number one, white collar takes money out the sport. Right? Because it doesn't get recycled within the sport. If that makes, I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, it, it does. But then that's there's people like I've been to white collar boxing, which I've paid to go and watch. That money that I put into those white collar boxing bouts, I weren't going to put into boxing otherwise. You, so it generates its own. Well, no, no, but, but, it, you know, but it, it, it doesn't because who benefits? Yeah. Mike is giving us the. Yeah. No, I got it. <laughs> we've gone on about Cut white it. collar boxing Cut for it. longer than we've gone on about Cut professional it. boxing. <laughs> Martin's switched out. Right. Okay. Right. Let's let's we will save this for. Having just thought about it, we will save this for when the <laughs> when we come back to this another time. Yeah. Anyway, um, final question. Boxing fan UK boxing fan six asks. Thinking of becoming a professional boxer uh, with no experience, what range should I keep my opponent and how wide should my stance be? 
always mid to long. <laughs> mid to long, out. Out of yeah. range. That's a new range. Extreme, extreme wide stance. And we know the stance. With your hands behind your back. Mm. With, <laughs> only against Paulie Malanaji. <laughs> who apparently was 169 pounds yeah. in that picture. Yeah. And then they make this big deal out of Paulie Malanaji's walked out of the spa room with Conor McGregor and he's got a black eye. It's like... Yeah, okay. And Sam Eggington fucking stopped him. Sam Eggington stopped him. <laughs> and I know it's a very different fight to spar, etc. But don't be getting a hard on because of the fact that fucking Conor McGregor may have given Paulie Malanadji a black eye. And don't that, forget, and, and, and he that. works for Showtime. Yeah, and he's the mate with a stooge. Yeah, who was selling the pay-per-view. So if he's maybe had a little bit of makeup on to make that black eye, oh, who's going to be overly surprised about oh, it? Oh, God. Because he didn't look, he did not look dressed to spa, did he? No. <laughs> I don't understand the black eye. Why is he wearing mascara? <laughs> it was embarrassing. He's got it, a hoodie on. It was absolutely embarrassing, actually. It was embarrassing, and it shows what a fast this is. But I mean, the suckers will buy it, and these guys, these guys will get rich. Back to the question, though. Fidget spinner is the answer. <laughs> That's how wide your stance needs to be. <laughs> yeah. Um... Okay, we have we have definitely got to come. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we've come into the end of the pod. That's that's, that's we're finished. That's... Finished. Done. No, we're finished. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> right, we really are finished. Oh, no, no, wait, 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 wait. No, um, you know, we didn't discuss Brona Garcia, but that's fine. Oh, we actually or Frampton or Frampton Gutierrez. Um... <laughs> it ain't over. <laughs> it's not over. No, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. Spin wait, wait. it back. Spin it back. All right, a quick, a quick <laughs> five. 20 seconds on each of those. Oh, well, uh, God, God forbid we spend more than 20 seconds on, on the actual boxing, boxing <laughs> action that's coming up. Right, yeah, yeah, whatever. Whatever, whatever you want to do. Garcia Broner. Uh, Garcia Broner. White collar fight. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, in all seriousness, what a good, what a, yes. what a good card that is. Like, um, just off the top of the head, I know Broner's fighting Garcia. Charlo's fighting Highland, um, who we all know from having fought Matt Macklin. The winner of that is mandatory for the winner of Canelo v. Golovkin, which for Charlo is a massive step up in a definite statement of intent. Because he's, Even he's only just landed a middle. Yeah, so, so you mean bravery? Like you'd never get that from a matchroom fighter. Um, Katie Taylor's on the card. I think Jarrell Miller against Gerald Washington is on there as well. So it's a good benchmark fight to see where Jarrell Miller is. Expect him to be an opponent for someone British at some point. Uh, who else is on that card? It's it's pretty deep. Like for the first six bouts are pretty meaningful, and if you can watch it, it's, it's probably worth it. And I, I'm I'm excited. I love Broner. I love Garcia. Two guys who are at the elite level but took vastly different paths. Man. Mikey Garcia's done it with no noise. Broder's done it with more noise than we can cope with. I'll be watching and I'll be excited. Who wins? I just think Garcia's too busy and too intelligent. I think Broner hits a lot harder. And if Broner were to up his work rate by about 25%, I don't think he's beatable at that weight. But... You're asking the man to change who he fundamentally is. So I, I'm going to say Garcia. What a great way for Garcia to step up the weight divisions, though. Similar to how Frampton stepped it up against Leo Santa Cruz. Yeah. 
Like, what a brilliant way to do it. And then go back down to fight your favourite man, Jorge Linares. Now, Jorge Linares is going to be fighting Luke Campbell, isn't he? Because Luke Campbell's earned that spot at the top of the... Uh, <laughs> destroying Luke Campbell. The Paul Smith ranking. The Paul Smith ranking position with the WBA and the WBC. Embarrassing. It is embarrassing. I thought... Where's Mendoza? I, Mendoza? I, I thought you sorted him out. <laughs> Gilberto Mendoza, you know, admitted the issues over Paul Smith landing in the top 15 or whatever. And then just was like, hold my jacket. <laughs> what, you thought that was bad? I'm going to teach this tartan Mia Boulder lesson <laughs> with his fucking questions. Watch what I do next. Yeah, so he launches Luke Campbell into From nowhere. a mandatory position. <laughs> From nowhere. Mandatory? What's he done to deserve that? Oh shit! Uh, he beat he'd Tommy be Coyle, Darlie's Perez, wasn't it? They beat on the Joshua undercard. Oh, embarrassing! If beating Darlie's Perez makes you the mandatory for anything, there's a problem. Someone has to explain how he's ranked higher than Crawler. Yeah, or as Delahoyle calls them, Corolla. <laughs> there's an awful lot of questions about that, none of which are answered, none of which ever will be. But um, yeah, no, no, let's not take away the fact Garcia Broner is a fucking brilliant fight yeah. as much as people can criticize Broner, as much as they can say you know he's wasted his talent etc he's still generating headlines and he's still a legitimate threat like okay maybe his work rate's not great but have you seen him he looks in phenomenal shape uh, for did this you, did you see the interview where they I think it was Maidana said it was after the Broner fight and the damage he sustained from Broner that he thought fuck this so he says Broner's a bigger puncher than Mayweather and Broner was probably the fight he hated most. That's fair. Yeah, when you, and, I mean, and when Maidana says that, you've got to take that seriously because he's, he's been in with everyone. He's a bad man. Yeah. He's a bad man. You've seen the photos of him looking huge with stacks of pounds. money. Yeah, he's living life. <laughs> <laughs> he's got that Mayweather money. Then you've got Frampton as well. Yeah, Frampton expected smart time fight. He'll win. Belfast homecoming. He's an eliminator of some yeah. sort. Not too much risk. Conrad Cummings is on there. Good luck to him as well. Good luck to the McGuigan guys. And I really want them to do well. But it's on Channel 5 as well. So, like, get behind it. Free terrestrial boxing. Uh, it's not a world title fight, but it's Carl Frampton. He's a world title fighter. Yeah. Like, you know, give it your support. And you've got Chantel Cameron on there as well. Um, like, you know, give it a watch. Shan Cam. Um, so, I guess that's all that's left is arguably inarguable. What? Whoa, whoa, it's left field. Someone's got trains to catch, right? <laughs> oh, so you have. That kind of that kind of snookers me. Unless you just want to quickly do them. Let's, let's, well, just crack on with it, mate. Like, fuck the stopwatch, let's go. Okay, right. They're just really simple ones. Um, um, so, Terry, uh, my favourite fighter at this point in time is Tony Bellew because... I look anyone that's trained by Dave Caldos. I've been trained by Customato. Like you're really learning the the finer arts of the sport. <laughs> and when a genius like Caldwell picks the most articulate, intelligent, <laughs> rational, reasoned man like Tony Bellew to execute a strategy, <laughs> no wonder he won against a one-legged man, which has never been done before in a boxing ring. <laughs> you know, he won against a one-legged man without ever knocking him down like the guy fell over from the breeze of the punches I mean and that's down to Caldwell Caldwell doesn't teach you the punch he teaches you the breeze <laughs> <laughs> okay that's very good see if Martin can top that no Martin skip. my my favourite boxer <clears throat> at the moment is Paul Smith because I can't even do that <laughs> uh, 
Because what he is, is he's an enigma. He's a mystery because he sits behind the paywall of being blocked on Twitter. And so no one out there knows what's going on in Paul Smith Jr.'s life. And so actually, what you lot don't realise, you're laughing. Stop. (laughs) What you don't realise out there, Paul Smith Jr. won a world title of the weekend, but no one knows it because they can't see his Twitter. He was out in Uruguay and he beat the WBC super middleweight slash cruiserweight uh, world champion slash heavyweight but no one knows about it because he's got that Twitter block on everyone you can't see it you don't generate that interest but that's because he's fucking elite (laughs) (laughs) you are gay (laughs) okay Um, that brings us to the end doesn't it yeah so Terry can jump off the bridge, uh, James Bond style, and land on the train. Um, but that's that's irrelevant because we've done argue the arguable. Good drills. Okay, thank you very much for listening. Get in touch with your questions for next week uh, at No Age Boxing UK, at the Seven Wolves, and at No 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 Broner related questions. I will answer all that stuff. Pick something up, man. Dig dig three or four layers beneath stuff and like fire some questions at us. I like Big Vern's questions. Yeah, he's mental. I might see him next week. If I go up to Sheffield, man, I might catch up with those guys. We don't play favourites. We like each and every one of your questions. Yeah, but they were good. Yeah. I like all of them, but they were good. Yeah. Shabba! And he doesn't like Hearn, which always helps. We yeah. do. We do. We love him. Okay, thank you very much for listening, and goodbye. Cheers, guys. Cheers, guys.